Hi, this is Mary Guzman, CEO and founder of Crown Jewel Insurance, unique asset protection for your most unique assets. Today in our podcast series, um, Cover Your Assets, we're going to talk about the insurance coverage in more detail than we have in the past sessions. And specifically, we're going to get into what triggers the insurance, what we do to help you respond in the event that you believe there's been a misappropriation of a trade secret asset, and how the policy works. And then towards the end of the discussion, Mark Halligan will join me again to discuss the post-misappropriation enforcement and litigation steps that we can take and what's involved in that um, as pursuing damages under the DTSA or other federal or state statutes and including both the six-factor litmus test that's used in courts and the EONA principles. So stay tuned and I hope you enjoy. Thanks. Loss prevention, um, risk control, mitigation, those are all synonymous terms that we use in the insurance industry all the time to describe, you know, policies and procedures that you're using to prevent a risk from happening in the first place or to keep it from being as ugly as it otherwise could be. Um, You could say that the entire world is in risk mitigation mode at the moment um, or maybe past that, and it's... um, It's scary what we're all dealing with, but, um, you know, this is what we're trying to do now is put the genie back in the bottle a little bit. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, maybe with some better better planning up front, um, we wouldn't be in the horrifying situation that we are now, or at least not in as, as deep a water as we are now. And that's really what the risk mitigation, what risk mitigation is about. Um, so when we think about that in terms of pr- protecting trade secret assets, um, there are lots of different tools in your toolbox that you're already that companies are already using. So we're not suggesting in any way, shape, or form that companies are just oblivious to the fact that they have trade secrets within their organizations and that they're not doing anything to protect them. It's just that what we find is that maybe they haven't structured that process as formally as they might have for other types of tangible assets or personally identifiable data because there's so much regulatory action around that data that there's an obligation to do that. Um, At any rate, what we want to do is help organizations formalize and, you know, um, create a strategy around the mitigation so that it's easier for them to identify internally what their most valuable assets are what they're already doing to protect them, and is it enough? Um, And as part of that, we will be using a risk assessment questionnaire that will supplement what was already completed for a traditional cyber placement, assuming that the company already buys a a traditional cyber policy. If not, that's easy enough for us to deal with. Um, But that really looks at how trade secrets should be protected in a different way then you would protect regular digital assets Um, and recognizing that you could have a compromise that doesn't have anything to do with a computer. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but we are really mainly focusing on mitigation strategies around technology and information security risk. Um, The second thing that we're doing, and so we're going to be evaluating and, and making suggestions around what companies are already doing from a risk assessment standpoint, we're going to be, 
supplementing that with dark web monitoring, uh, as we discussed earlier, provided by X-Cyber. And then to help us on the back end, um, we're going to invoke the services of not only X-Cyber on the forensics um, and business continuity side of things, but the folks at Fisher Broyles, Mark and his team on the um, moving quickly to get an ex parte seizure order and try to recapture those assets before they've been compromised to a point of no return, essentially, and or to go after that third party to establish and seek damages, uh, which we'll talk about in just a moment as part of the insurance policy. Now we get to the risk transfer uh, section of the risk management process that we're offering. And this is where we are announcing Crown Jewel Insurance. So the overall process is called Crown Jewel Protector, but the insurance policy itself is called Crown Jewel Insurance. We think this is a game changer in the industry. Um, again, I spent 30 years as a broker. The last 15 of it really focused on cyber, media, intellectual property, and technology-related risk, all kinds of different errors and omissions type of exposures. Um, and, you know, it was a constant struggle and a constant source of frustration for us on the brokerage side as well as the client side, but it was something that the markets were understandably concerned about trying to ensure when the valuation methodologies, at least in their minds, weren't there or weren't supportable. Um, and so, you know, that's how we're moving forward um, with developing this insurance program. To date, we have $50 million, roughly, of capacity. Um, could be more if we had a client who came to us tomorrow and said, we really need $75 million. Um, we haven't been tasked to do that yet, so you only know what you can do when you try to go do it. Um, and, but we're optimistic about where we are in the marketplace today. Um, as you can understand, when you're developing any new product, uh, markets aren't jumping in with both feet right away and putting up $20 million of capacity each. So it'll take some time to get there. It takes a village, as they say. And if anybody's on the phone that's with the carrier, um, you know, we would love to chat with you about participating in this program. Um, certainly, we're not closed to any ideas around adding additional support to this endeavor. Um, we can ensure, for the moment, name and ensure up to 20 trade secret assets that we could that would be considered the crown jewels of an organization. Um, we're not trying to cover every single trade secret that you have um, for a lot of different reasons, um, not the least of which is that it would just become cumbersome from an underwriting standpoint. And we may already be running into situations where companies have higher value when you add the fair market value of all their trade secrets together than the value we can get. We have a solution for that in terms of rating, but we, you know, we're tempering that against the amount of capacity we can get at the moment. So we've landed on 20 trade secrets for now. Um, they must be scheduled on the policy form, which makes sense. Um, and we also will be tracking those from a, um, from a security standpoint with the monitoring services that we're putting in place. The average rate uh, is somewhere between a 3 and 8% rate online, which I recognize is a relatively significant um, delta. But there are a lot of determining factors that go into, you know, we're sort of starting with a 5% rate online. And for those of you who are not in the insurance world, uh, the attorneys and others on the phone, 
that means 5% of the limit that you're purchasing, essentially. Um, we're starting with a 5% rate online, but we debit or credit that based on a lot of other factors um, that we talked about as part of the underwriting process. Um, there are three insuring agreements in the policy form that I want to walk through quickly. The first insuring agreement, for those of you that have done and placed a lot of cyber insurance, this will look very familiar, is the breach response and recovery expense coverage. So um, when, you, when you believe that you have a trade secret asset that's been compromised or when you find out that there may have been one by the, the monitoring technology that we're using, um, we will pull the trigger on the coverage and get X-Cyber involved in the forensics investigation as well as any um, part of the intelligence community that needs or should be involved in that investigation and invoke Mark's and his team's help on the legal side to determine what we can do and whether or not um, we can file for an ex parte seizure order and some of the things that we talked about. So that's the stop the bleeding coverage, if you will, sort of to figure out the source and scope of the attack, what happened, how it was exfiltrated from the system, whether it was a technology breach or otherwise, um, you know, just a former employee or a disgruntled employee who made a bunch of copies of stuff and stuck them in their briefcase. Um, that's what that portion of the coverage pays for. And, and brings the services to bear. If we are not able to successfully stop the bleeding and recapture the trade secret asset under insuring agreement A, that's when we move to insuring agreement B, which pays the fair market value of the asset as agreed upfront using the valuations that we talked about with Phil earlier. And of course, the carrier and the insured would all have to agree on the fair market value of each of those assets so that everybody knows exactly what's covered um, and it's a very easy, should be an extremely easy settlement process, which is a huge hurdle for us. And we're thrilled to be able to say that we, we believe we've gotten to, you know, the agreement and understanding from the underwriters that if A isn't successful, we pay the fair market value. Um, there's no adjustment on whether or not they were really on target to hit those numbers, et cetera, et cetera. There are a couple of exceptions to that in the wording which we don't have time to go into right now, but it really is truly meant to be a very simplified claims adjustment process. And then insuring agreement C, um, I think should make a lot of people happy and I think is a really cool coverage feature that you don't see very often in any insurance policy. And that is that we are going to provide coverage to seek damages and go after the perpetrator um, or the misappropriator of the trade secret asset, if, assuming that under insuring agreement A, we know who's got it and where they went and what they're planning to do with it. Um, under insuring agreement C, even if the cause of the disclosure or theft is not covered. In other words, if it's not a security breach, but it is somebody who just stole paper documents, um, we will still, it, as long as the panel of experts, the three of us on the phone and the underwriters involved in this process, together with the technology firm, all agree that we are in pretty good shape based on the DTSA and other legal remedies that we have available to us. Um, to go after that third-party misappropriator, we will go after them and help seek damages even if the claim is otherwise not covered, which is a really unique feature and, again, could save clients 
millions of dollars on the back end. Um, they really have nothing to lose in this regard because, as Mark will talk about in just a second, the DTSA and some of the remedies covered under that um, allow for the payment of multiple damages, meaning that we might end up recovering more in the way of damages than the fair market value of the trade secret asset itself because we might get something that feels and looks like punitive damages. And if so, we will keep a portion of that and the rest of the money would go back to the insured. So, um, you know, it's a really neat coverage feature that we're excited about. Um, now I'm going to turn it back over to Mark to quickly run through legislation. So the trade, the trade secret owner now has um, all the tools that they need um, as a result of the enactment of the Defend Trade Secrets Act of, of 2016, uh, which was passed by the U.S. Senate 87 to 0 and by the House of Representatives 410 to 2. I, I worked on that for, for three or four years. Uh, some of you may know that I wrote the Law Review article in 2008 that recommended the ex parte seizure order uh, and a private civil cause of action. But the fact is now that here's the state of the law. 49 out of 50 states have the Uniform Trade Secrets Act, New York being the only state that does not. But, but now with the uh, Defend Trade Secrets Act of 2016, you have a federal cause of action. So you have the Uniform Trade Secrets Act. You have the Defend Trade Secrets Act of 2016. You have the Economic Espionage Act of 1996, which is a civil statute um, and now with the Defend Trade Secrets Act, but also is a criminal statute. But the point that we want to emphasize on increased damages is if you prove that there was a misappropriation of a trade secret and that that misappropriation was willful and malicious, that under the Uniform Trade Secrets Act and under the Defend Trade Secrets Act, you're entitled to increased uh, two times the amount of compensatory damages uh, as increased damages. And the courts have construed that to be if compensatory damages, for example, are $10 million, and it was willful and malicious misappropriation, that's $20 million, two times compensatory, you add it together, it's $30 million. So in essence, you, you can obtain treble damages. And then you also have RICO. RICO has come alive now, the Racketeer Influence Corrupt Organizations Act, which uh, we've now had experience with over many, many years. It's, it's not the RICO that a lot of us remember at the beginning of our careers. RICO has scheduled, uh, under the new Defend Trade Secrets Act, they have scheduled uh, Section 1831, which is economic espionage, and Section 1832, which is the theft of trade secrets or domestic uh, trade secret theft, as predicate acts for purposes of RICO. And so you have, you have 25 different acts defined in uh, Section 1831, and then 25 attempts to commit those acts, and another 25 to conspire to commit those acts. At 75 predicate acts you have to work from, under 1831 or under 1832. What this does now is allow you to put together a complaint that has Uniform Trade Secrets Act violation, Defend Trade Secrets Act violation, RICO violations, and because the Defend Trade Secrets Act does not preempt common law causes of action, uh, the courts are starting to recognize you can add those back in too, such as uh, you know conversion or others, uh, breach of the uh, uh, fiduciary duty and whatever common law causes of action you want to add in into the complaint. 
And under RICO, it's it's a mandatory trouble damages. Uh, there is court uh, supervision over the increased damages in the UTSA and the Defend Trade Secret Act cases. Generally, the court follows, uh, you know, what the jury finds and returns as a verdict. The long and short of it is, is that we have all the tools necessary, both in federal and state level, to to deal. Uh, with uh, a situation of theft uh, of trade secrets and the mitigation efforts that, that Mary uh, described. Uh, uh, spend a moment on the six-factor litmus test. This is critical to understanding the power of the Trade Secret Examiner software platform. This is not a platform where you just enter in uh, subjective data. You, it, is, it is structured so that it captures the information asset as it scales on a one to five scale on the six factors. What is the six factor litmus test? The six factor litmus test is really uh, stood the test of time almost 200 years really. In 1939 when the original restatement of torts when they addressed trade secret misappropriation for the first time, they looked to case law from the 19th century in order to formulate uh, you know, examples of what trade secrets were. And that six-factor test came out of the original 1939 restatement, again, based upon looking at 100 years of, of case law before that. And today is used as the litmus test to determine whether an alleged information asset qualifies as a trade secret act. Uh, and the factors are the extent to which the information is known outside the company. Factor two, the extent to which the information is known by employees and others involved in the company. Factor number three, the extent of measures taken by the company to guard the secrecy of the information. Factor four, the value of the information to the company and competitors. Factor five, the amount of time, effort, and money expended by the company in developing the information. And factor six, the ease of difficulty with which the information could be properly acquired or duplicated by others. It is an extremely valuable test. You run the, the alleged trade secret assets or the information assets through this six-factor litmus test. You score it. It provides a defendability factor, which you can then also calculate a security factor to determine whether you have adequate security. It is a very powerful tool that emulates what happens when you actually go in the court. Anybody who's actually gone in and tried a trade secret case, you're essentially marshalling and putting witnesses on the stand and attempting to introduce documents and evidence to address the six factors. Well, guess what? You can do all that ahead of time, way ahead of time, uh, and have that scoring and have that uh, protection and organization of your trade secret assets before you ever have to go to court. And if you then have to go to court, you have all this evidence blockchained in the system. And so you push the button, you're ready to go right into court and get the ex-party seizure order. So it's a critical part of the uh, the software platform, the trade, trade secret asset management the platform. And finally, the EONA proofs, uh, the acronym, existence, ownership, notice, and access. These are requirements for the plaintiff in a trade secrets case. He has to be able to establish the existence of at least one trade secret, ownership of that trade secret, notice, to the person that you're claiming has stolen it so that they were on notice that they, this information was a trade secret, and you have to show access, the EONA proofs. Within the existence, that's where you identify the trade secret, that's where the, 
the trade secret examiner six-factor analysis comes in. But you have to show existence, ownership, notice, and access. And guess what? All of that can be entered into the, the automated trade secret asset management system and blockchain. So once again, if you have a threatened or actual theft of trade secret with a few pushes of buttons on your keyboard, you're ready to go in the, a court with the blockchain evidence of existence, ownership, notice, and access to the scheduled trade secret asset that's part of the uh, <clears throat> Crown Jewel insurance policy. Thank you, Mark, so much. There's no stronger expert in the country, I'm convinced, on trade secret litigation and law, and we really appreciate how you make it understandable for us. For more information about this product and the services that we can offer or Mark's bio or anything else that you want to know, follow us on social media on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at www.tradesecretinsurance.com. We will have another one of these coming out in a couple of weeks. And don't forget that we've got a couple of videos on YouTube about what is a trade secret and a full-length hour-long webinar that has some of this in further detail if you would like to visit there. Thank you.